Hello and welcome to the Treehouse Letter Podcast. I'm your host, Milan Shatton. Uh, in today's podcast, we have a very special guest um, who is my classmate, Colonel Ken Mintz, who uh, is going to talk to us about the story uh, that he had to share. And Kenny, are you there? I'm here. <laughs> oh, can you can you tell us what you're doing now before we get started? What your what your role is? You're you're still sure. in the service, yep. Yes, yeah, so I'm a I'm a colonel in the army, uh, over 28 years, um, and I run. I'm the director for something called the Center for Strategic Leadership at the U.S. Army War College, and that organization is a very diverse uh, group uh, with a, a, a very large portfolio of things that we do. So I have um, the strategic wargaming team. Uh, so the, this is a collection of various uh, civilians and military that design games for education, but also to help um, customers solve problems and see their problems. So all kinds of customers in the military, uh, also in, in across uh, the Department of Defense, um, and also uh, other civilian agencies within the government, and also with academia. I also have an organization um, called the Strategic Land Power and Futures Group, which is a whole collection of different types of specialties. So I have the U.S. Army War College um, specialty of cyber, space, futures, science and technology, <laughs> doctrine, homeland defense, mission command, uh, and cognitive science. Wow. Uh, so it's sort of an eclectic group of, of nutty professors there. And, uh, <laughs> and really kind of national treasures, frankly. And then I have also the U.S. Army War College Fellows Program is also under my purview. And when colonels get selected to go to the War College, they can go to the Army War College, the Naval War College, the Air War College, etc., or they can go into a fellows fellowship program at a university in the United States and abroad. And so all of those individuals are also administered, at least under my um, my center. So, Ken, can you tell us what um, what stage the Army War College folks usually, where is it, um, and at what yeah. stage do people go to it? What's, what's, what really is the end goal? Okay. So it's, um, it's in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and Carlisle Barracks. A very historic location, and it is part of the professional military education system. It's really the most senior level of of um, of that education system. So usually, it is lieutenant colonels, uh, you know, senior lieutenant colonels, post command, post battalion command, promotable lieutenant colonels, and colonels that attend. Uh, the Army War College. And the purpose of it is to prepare uh, colonels to do colonel kind of things. Mostly mostly <laughs> it's about how to think versus what to think type stuff. So you're, you're learning to be a, more of a strategic leader um, and look at and be a, a strategic advisor 
to senior leaders uh, in the military and otherwise. Um, it's a really great year of reflection. Mm. And, and uh, you know, most, you know, like all of us, most Army officers, but also, you know, everybody at our age uh, is grinding every day. You're working in whatever it is that you're doing. And you don't necessarily have an opportunity to poke your head up above the clouds and, and get perspective on things. And that's really, I think, the great thing about the Army War College is it gives you a year to think about the world versus just the problem set that you're dealing with every day. And, uh, we, yeah, so it's, uh, it's a great experience. You know, my center contributes to that, but we're also very much about research and, you know, external customers and, and really hopefully being a thought leader in, in our various areas. Great. Sounds like a big change from some of the things you have done. And part of the reason we're here uh, today really is I came across this story of yours and you've had a quite an interesting experience in the Army and, and what's really happened uh, during the era that you've been serving. Um, so I wanted to maybe perhaps ask you to share that story with us and perhaps start with a little bit of context uh, about your role, what you were doing at the time. Um, when this, when you, when you share this story. Okay. So, uh, I, I, I'm an infantry officer. Um, so that means, you know, we're the guys that fight on the ground, uh, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> when you think of the army, that's probably what most people think of. That's what I've spent my life doing. So, uh, I commanded, uh, 1st Battalion, 32nd Infantry Regiment, uh, 132, which was in the 10th Mountain Division, or still is in the 10th Mountain Division. And I commanded from 2010 to 2012. And during that time, we deployed uh, to Kandahar Province, uh, Zari District, uh, Kandahar Province, from March of 2011 to March uh, 2012. Um, we're in the western part of Zari. It's actually... Uh, the birthplace of Mullah Omar, who is the founder of the Taliban in Afghanistan. So it's a very, um, uh, I'll say morally important to the Taliban. Mm. And it was a very difficult place to operate and fight in. Um, we had, you know, a, some, uh, an epic year there. Uh, we took a lot of losses, but I think in the end, we actually did pacify the place. And it wasn't necessarily the U.S. Army that did that. It was being smart enough to, you know, make friends and make allies and get a lot of different types of people to work together to bring security. So um, very proud of, of that year there. And uh, and I was, uh, you know, somebody had posted on Facebook some footage from our deployment. And there was uh, in that footage was a something called a Kiowa Warrior, which is this little two-seater helicopter that was rattling away with a 50 caliber machine gun supporting us. And, and so I, it, it sort of brought into my mind, for whatever reason, this thought. Um, and uh, as I watched the footage, I started to reminisce about a poignant moment I experienced during that deployment. And usually prior to any large battalion level operation, so a battalion, uh, an infantry battalion is about 810 soldiers uh, divided up into um, different types of units 
And um, like I said before, we fight on the ground. So I had in Afghanistan a infantry battalion that I commanded, but I was also partnered with an Afghan army battalion. I also had a something called an ANCOP battalion, which is an Afghan civil order police battalion that was partnered with us. I also had local police, a whole host of local leadership and people that resided within our area of operations. And um, we ended up also starting to train and, and equip and serve with something called the Afghan local police. So this whole mosaic of different types of security forces all needed to be tied together to kind of get an effect. So um, without getting into a lot of detail of what we were trying to do, there were some opportunities several times to do some very large operations to help establish security in areas where there was none. So prior to a battalion level operation, I would often conduct an aerial recon reconnaissance of the area that we're going to operate in, in a Kiowa helicopter. <laughs> and um, I'll just sort of read this to you. This steadfast and venerable helicopter is no longer in service, but was the perfect platform for the perspective I needed to confirm or deny our plan of attack. Great. It was a small two-seater, and I had to squeeze my large frame into the seat next to the nimble pilot. <laughs> As we li lifted in the air my perspective completely changed. At the ground level, the world is a different place. Every foot of the ground conceals all manner of real and imagined threats. Your level of perception extends to the short distance you can actually see. There is a sense of not really knowing what is out there beyond your sight and a constant sense of foreboding, enemy lurking in a distance, distant palm grove, canal line, behind a wall, or in a fortified mud hut. To this point in our area of operations, we had literally fought for every yard of ground. The enemy had seated the ground with belts of improvised explosive devices and defended these belts with hidden teams of fighters armed with small arms and recoilless rifles. It was a very tough place to fight, blazing temperatures, rugged terrain, and a determined, capable enemy. As we flew across the battalion's area of operations, it suddenly looked very small and relatively benign. It looked pastoral and peaceful. <clears throat> I directed the pilot to fly toward the reference points I needed to see from this vantage point. To avoid enemy fire, the pilot flew in a constant roller coaster pattern, up and down, up and down, up and down. This method of flying had no effect on the pilot, but played havoc with my guts. I was able to keep from retching as I concentrated intently on the points on the ground I needed to see. This vantage point truly afforded me the opportunity to visualize the terrain. In my mind's eye, I could literally imagine how our attack would unfold on the ground and was able to make key adjustments to, this, to the plan. On this particular day, the pilot brought me back to my operating base. He sat down on the gravel landing zone inside the perimeter walls of the outpost. I thanked him for the flight and was eager to get my feet back on the ground and to give respite to my twisting guts. The Kiowa lifted up and flew away into the distance. It was quiet. My ground patrol was en route to pick me up, and I had a moment to myself. It was actually pleasant to sit in the shade and listen to the sounds from the market drifting on the wind from outside our walls. I could hear the chirping of kids' voices and the sounds of normal civil life. 
In the day-to-day of my existence, I rarely took pause to listen to the world around me. Every waking moment was activity, noise, interaction, my mind always racing and contemplating and balancing. But I let myself listen and reflect on the normalcy I heard on the wind. It was, it was peaceful for a moment. My ground patrol consisting of four massive, mine-resistant, ambush-protected, what we call MRAP trucks, roared up to me about five minutes after I touched down. I mounted my truck and we moved out into the into sector to visit one of the company outposts, a daily sojourn of activity that commanders call battlefield circulation. This is the daily reconnaissance and checking on what is happening on the ground every day. Trying to get the pulse of the unit, checking on the morale and outlook of the soldiers and their leaders, listening to their ideas and perspectives, gripes and complaints, giving orders and making corrections, a constant effort to try and understand the state of the unit and its relationship to the mission, the terrain, the people, and the same of our Afghan allies. I basically drove around and talked to people all day long, every day. My soldiers, but also the Afghan soldiers and policemen and the civilians and key leaders, I could write a book about this, about the effort it took to try to communicate with such a disparate group of people and the effort and patience it took to try and weave this mosaic together to get people to work together, to convince, cajole, charm, describe, argue, listen, a lot of listening. We drove into sector on Highway 1 through the bustling market of Housing Madad and then south towards Lakakel and then east onto Route Omid toward Cop Sangsar. A cop is a company outpost. A short distance down the route, my lead vehicle was suddenly engulfed in a cloud of dust. The enemy detonated a command wire improvised explosive device buried in the road. Thankfully, the detonation only caught the rear of the vehicle in front of me and cast shrapnel and debris onto the engine block and windshield of my vehicle. No one was hurt and there was no major damage. After getting a status report, give me one second here. After getting a status from every element in our mounted patrol and sending a report to my battalion tactical operations center, I dismounted my vehicle and was able to trace the command wire to a ditch about 50 meters away. There was a young boy, probably 10 years old, watching us a short distance away. I called him over questioned him. He told us that there was a man hiding in the ditch and that he had ran away. But who really knows? The boy probably was the one who detonated the explosive device. He didn't have a choice but to do it or risk harm to himself and his family. Just as the ground masks the activities of your enemy, so does the language and culture of a foreign land mask the intentions of the people you operate among. On the hot, dusty afternoon, I pondered our situation and the contrasts of the day, the contrast of the perspective between the ground and my flight that morning, the contrast of my peaceful moment listening to the voices of children and the sudden violent explosion that snapped me back into the grave reality of the moment, this moment of reflection on a distant battlefield. Well... Thank you for sharing that. Uh, and it is, it is just a lot to think about. Um, 
uh, you shared in in that experience, and it, it is really quite powerful. I know we've had a lot of commentary on the wall with the story. Um, do you you think, in reflection now, this many uh, years later, that it was most likely the boy? And do you feel uh, you, you mentioned that he didn't really have a choice? Yeah. Or, or did he? Could you just... Well, I mean, you know, who, who knows? Yeah. You know, I, like I said, who really knows? Uh, you know, I'm quite sure that it's possible that whoever planted the explosive device gave him the detonation, to, you know, the detonator and told him what to do. And he knew that, you know, it was unlikely that we would respond with you know, violence against a boy. Right. Um, so it's actually quite clever of our enemy to do that. And that's the problem with fighting amongst the people is that, you know, you have to have uh, the ability to respond to situations in a way that, you know, you wouldn't expect much more like a policeman mm-hmm. than, than, than a soldier sometimes. The, com- so, the comparison yeah. that you draw, which to me is an extremely powerful one that really makes this story uh, resonate not just in, in this conflict, but you know, hearkening back to other conflicts, is you have the challenges of trying to run a mission on the land. So you, you're getting up, um, you're getting an aerial view, uh, yeah. something that you you wouldn't necessarily your, your your troops wouldn't have the chance to see that, and you wouldn't necessarily normally either. But you mentioned the other barrier uh, with the people, and this has I this really resonates with me is the language and the culture. Yeah. So that um, that go between, which is is very hard to surmount, if at all surmountable. Like yeah. when you're talking to that boy, are you talking? So I'm imagining you you talking in English. Yeah. So how I, are I'm you? How does it? An, yeah. How does the communication? Oh, I see. So, so I have an interpreter um, who is, you know, I'm I'm I talk to the boy, and he's. You know, he's speaking in Pashtun, which mm-hmm. is the language they speak in that particular part of Afghanistan, mm-hmm. uh, to the boy. So that's how you do it. So I'm always having to, I had to learn how to communicate through an interpreter, which, which is different. You know, you, you speak slower, you speak in bursts rather than, you know, just flowing, flowing, flowing. And, you know, you have, a, it's a different, it's a different, it's a totally different style of communicating. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it's something that, like I said, I, that's all I did every day is, is do this. Right. Um, no. And your local, your interpreter, when you're, are you making eye contact with the boy or do you find that you're looking at the interpreter for them to, to, to translate what your intent is with the tone behind the, the message yeah. as well? Well, I always talk to the person I'm talking to. Okay. Um, because, you know, it's just a better way to communicate. Mm-hmm. And my interpreter, I'm not going to say he was the greatest interpreter in the world, <laughs> but he, but he sort of understood me and, and, and he was with me for a long enough time that, you know, you, you get really close to these guys. I mean, you're with them all the time. They're getting shot at with you. They're, yeah. you know, and they're, they're, they're courageous. 
you know. So do you feel their loyalties are with you as well as the mission and trying to make that? i just thinking of Lost yeah. in Translation, like with Bill Murray, right? I mean, there's just, I'm a mixed uh, race person. And so I, when yeah. I, I don't really speak my mother's language. And so when I speak right. to the Vietnamese who only speak Vietnamese, it's, I can only imagine your challenges because so much has been lost in translation with my own experience yes. that you feel he's loyal enough and understands you that he is, he's, he's really getting the message to the boy and, 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 and right. back. Well, uh, it's a risk. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a constant risk because you, you don't really know, you know, how well this guy is, communicating whatever it is that you're trying to communicate right um but there's there's some intangibles um you know this boy is probably not a great example but you know you're trying to you're trying to get people to trust you so it's just being you know like like you asked me like do you talk to the person or do you talk to the interpreter well it's talking to the person it's speaking slowly and very deliberately in bursts it's Mm -hmm. looking at them Mm -hmm. it's sort of the intangible of making a connection and there's there's a there's a common thing about our humanity that transcends language and culture Mm -hmm. although language and culture is super important um it's it's also just being a good person and, and trying to you know in this particular case not create fear or not, not be intimidating. Uh, although sometimes, you know, you do do that because you have to, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sorry, I'm kind of getting ready. To, yeah. I'm, I'm talking while I'm getting ready. No, no, I know um, we're going to finish up because your time is precious. You're heading out. I guess with uh, that, that really helps me understand. Cause I think that's the metaphor that you drew for us. That was a very powerful one in this story. Um, and I guess closing in closing, do you think, uh, looking back at this situation and maybe what we don't know as listeners um, or readers, uh, kind of, what is your takeaway from the experience? I mean, did you find out any more details after the situation or what happened to the boy and are your soldiers okay, all that? Um, well, I, I will never know. I will never know. And, and you know, I, I've been blown up dozens of times. I mean, this was just one of many times, not dozens of times, a dozen times. So, you know, it it just sort of, at some point you just sort of accept it. Mm -hmm. Um, it it was just poignant on that day because it was such a contrast to, you know, that literally 20 minutes before that I was, I was sitting here listening to kids playing in the market and, and allowing myself that moment to just reflect and, and, and to, I kind of hope that peace would somehow settle in, in this place. And, mm-hmm. you know, 20 minutes later, boom, you're getting blown up and it's probably a little boy who, who detonated the bomb. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's yeah. just, you know, Shocking. yeah, I, I'll never know. Yeah. And, and yeah. it actually, it doesn't surprise me and it doesn't make me mad or anything yeah. that, that that he did that. He, like yeah. I said, I don't, he wouldn't have had a choice. Sure, sure. So just to close, um, it's eight years later. Could you just give us your take? If you're, um, in a position, like, how do you feel about, um, I guess our, our mission over there or, or, yeah. or what you've 
see uh, what you've done or what your, your soldiers have done? Well, that's a, that's a big question. Um, and it's something I think about a lot. I mean, I really do. Um, I, I would tell you that war and invading countries is a really dumb way to solve problems um, <laughs> because it, it doesn't really work unless, you know, only under certain conditions does it really work. And we, we've created a lot of problems. Um, and it's easy to get in really hard to get out, I guess is what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, in my little part of Afghanistan, my little tiny little bit of it, I did the best I could to make the mission happen and take care of my soldiers. That's all, all I could do. Yeah. Was I was I like really believing that that this was the greatest mission in the world? Um, you know, I would say no, but that over time I started to see a way forward for Afghanistan, a way for security to work and come together. Um, now, and that's the best we can hope for, right? Yeah. And I, I actually, you know, I kind of feel like, you know, the, the way we approached it and, and, and so on was very effective. Um, but it kind of needed us to be the honest broker for it to be successful. And the Afghans have to take on that role. Absolutely. Um, and they haven't. So, um, well, we appreciate what you've done, uh, clearly demonstrating this story in this exchange today. And Colonel Ken Mintz, what a, what a pleasure it was to talk to you. And I, I appreciate your candor and sharing this special story um, or memorable moment uh, for the rest of us, especially for the American populace, who really it's fewer than one percent that even don the uniform yeah. today. Well, it's been a great life. I'm blessed. I've, li- I've lived an authentic life, and uh, and I've got to serve with amazing human beings, and yeah. uh, and earn their trust, and lead them, and and do the best I could by them. Yeah. Um, so it's been a great life, and I appreciate having the opportunity to talk to you this morning. No, absolutely, and and I had a short stint of time with you, and uh, it was truly a positive influence, and we're really blessed to have you in this country and wish you a great weekend, and thank, thank you. you for coming on the podcast today. If it's okay, we'll probably post something on the website if we can get some photos up for folks who want to check that out as well. Okay. Thanks, Milan. Thanks. Take care, Ken. Have a safe trip. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.